Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this. The prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this. God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of when we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him. We have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. How you doing? Did you guys all have a good Christmas? Who's ready for the new year? Are you ready for the new year? I am too. I think God has some exciting things ahead for us. And uh, so it is, it is uh, exciting days. Uh, yeah, you can close them, Floyd. That's good. And uh, I think we are getting closer to the coming of the Lord. That's one of the reasons why um, I thought it would be good to, you know, I've done, let's see, I've done Daniel. I've done Revelation, and I've done, um, uh, actually I did a series kind of just on the second coming, kind of key parts of the second coming, but this is the first time that I've ever done First or Second Thessalonians, and so I, I kind of like these two books because they, they, you know, there's not the volume of scripture uh, in these two books that there is. Uh, in, say, for instance, Revelation. But it's very compact. It's very, um, for what they say, it's very precise. There's no, there's no mysterious beasts you have to figure out or anything like that, you know. I mean, it's just very compact, you know, very clear, very concise. And um, 
Uh, so I think it's a, it's another whole angle on the second coming, you know, that can, that can help us understand, uh, you know, what all the Lord is up to. And so, uh, so I'm excited to share some about it. We'll go, uh, four Wednesdays here in January. Uh, I know some of you probably have kids down at, uh, youth. I'll probably go about an hour, you know, and then, um, if some of you want to hang around a little longer also while I'm, uh, while I'm teaching or while I'm sharing, if you guys have questions, you know, I want to keep it informal and casual. So just wave your hand at me, you know, and uh, sometimes I speak in long sentences. So it might be another hour before I get to you after that. But no, just kidding. But uh, I will get to you. And uh, and uh, so, yeah, we I, I definitely uh, if you have questions, we want to be sure to try to try to answer those. Not saying that I can answer them. Uh, one of the four funniest stories I could tell you is that actually when I did my the first class that I ever did related to the second coming, I did it on Revelation and I opened it kind of making fun of all the teachers that have charts, you know, because what I said was really, and, and I still believe this, um, that nobody has it totally figured out exactly how everything is going to happen. The scriptures give us some beautiful pictures of it. Uh, some scary pictures of it too, but um, I, I don't think anybody has it totally figured out. For instance, in the first coming, how would you have ever known what the scripture meant that says, out of Egypt, I've called my son? How would you ever know what that meant? Unless the Holy Spirit gave you sovereign revelation, because you know, Joseph had a dream, took Jesus, you know, down into Egypt and he was protected from Herod's slaughter. So how would you really know what's going on unless you were living in that time? I believe there's going to be a few things like that uh, when we talk about the second coming that we won't totally, uh, or let me say it this way. I think we'll have some aha moments, you know, uh, as we look at the scripture and, and as things come to pass. But anyway, to make my short story even longer, uh, you know, I was, as I was teaching on the book of Revelation, by the time I got to about the 12th week of my teaching, guess what I had? A chart. <laughs> so I go, okay, I can see how it can happen, you know. But uh, I did put a disclaimer on my chart that, um, you know, I wasn't guaranteeing it was right. So, <laughs> but um, it is a very interesting um, topic, you know, when we talk about the second coming. And I don't think it's just interesting from the standpoint of information. I think it's interesting from the standpoint, you know, that our hearts long for deliverance from evil, for deliverance from, you know, what's going on on planet earth and the things that, that we all walk through. And of course, the things that, that uh, the human race goes through, you know, and so in thinking of Jesus coming back, you know, and making all that right and dealing with the wrong, I mean, that makes it interesting from a heart standpoint, you know, and from a life standpoint, not just an informational standpoint. So it's a great topic. I love it. And uh, the Bible calls it the blessed hope. It is our hope, you know, uh, the second coming of Christ. So, uh, and I have to be really good tonight because my mother-in-law is here. So I want to introduce you to you. This is Kay Hildy. She's not standing, just wave. Everybody, oh, there. So she, uh, she flew in tonight and, um, or this morning and uh, Mary Jo and I picked her up. And so she's here with us. She's making the rounds. She's been in Oregon, then she was in Minnesota, and so now she's here with us in Missouri. So, 
we're glad to have her. All right, so um, tonight, uh, I, pr- I don't have any handout for you tonight because we're just going to kind of jump into it. And so no cheat sheets, no cheat sheets. You're just going to have to go with hardcore Bible tonight, you know. So I'm going to keep you really focused on the word tonight, you know. Uh, now next week, I might have something, so we'll see what, what develops. But, um, and so I've got a couple of versions um, open here uh, on the pulpit tonight. I've got the NLT, New Living Translation. I've also got the ESV which is the English Standard Version. Um, so uh, one's a little more easy to read, one's a little more accurate. And, uh, but you know, there's great translations out there. Uh, you know, some of you I know have the NIV, some of you have the new King James. You know, um, there might even be a few King, uh, King James original lovers out there if you have been a Christian for many years and you were brought up on that. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, but sometimes when I'm standing up there preaching and I quote a verse, it still comes out King James. Have you noticed that? <laughs> I get the, the withers and the thithers and the these and the thous, you know. I'm trying to break that, you know, because some of the young people look at me like, what language is he talking, you know? But um, that's actually the way they spoke in 1611. But I do, I, I have to break your bubble in case there's anybody that think Paul read the King James. Uh, he was here long before the King James. So anyway, uh, so whatever translation you have with you tonight is fine. But I want to encourage you to bring your Bible with you each of these four weeks so you can follow along in um, whatever uh, might be your favorite translation. Um, how many of you doing the Bible reading plan? Anybody here doing the Bible reading plan? All right, that's great. You know, so I think we have extras out there um, if you haven't. I jumped into that yet, but encourage you to read, of course, out of the whole Bible. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into it, all right? Father, thank you for this night. We thank you so much for Jesus, and Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. And so, Lord, as tonight, we know that, that you came and you, you purchased our salvation, but um, that was just the beginning. Lord, you've called us to now walk by faith, to grow in you also to make a difference in our world. But Lord, you have called us to look forward to your coming. And we know your second coming is going to be way different from your first coming. And you are coming, Lord, to uh, come for your people and, Lord, to deal an end to evil. So, Father, we just pray as we look at all the teachings in Scripture on this, help us out of First and Second Thessalonians to even have a better picture. And uh, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. All right. So let me just give you a um, couple, just a little bit of background um, for First and Second Thessalonians. Um, in Acts chapter 17, uh, 1 to 10, we have the story of uh, Paul and uh, Silas and um, uh, his group there. They, they were in Philippi. And um, they actually met up with Lydia, a seller of purple, uh, started a church there. If you remember the story, they kind of met by the river. Uh, Paul ended up getting um, thrown in jail uh, in that. In fact, usually every place Paul went, there was a revival or a riot, one of the two. Uh, I think the church needs a little bit more of that today. And, um, uh, you know, and oftentimes there was both revival and riot. But uh, anyway, when they left uh, Philippi, uh, and they kind of had to leave <laughs> because they had uh, stirred up the whole city. The next city they went to was Thessalonica. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll maybe give you a map of that. 
next time. But it was, uh, it was on Paul's missionary journey, uh, number two. And uh, it's, it's, it, Thessalonica was way over, you know, if this was uh, Israel here, Thessalonica is way over here uh, in uh, what they called Asia there. And uh, it was the farthest away probably that he had been at the time. And uh, so he founded a uh, church there. And in, in Acts 17 there, it's describing um, the story of that whole thing. And it tells us there that he was three weeks. He would always go to the synagogue first because the gospel is first to the Jews. Of course, the whole door opened to the uh, Gentiles. Anybody, anybody of Jewish background in here tonight? Any Jewish background? Okay, we, we're all just Gentiles, right? Okay, well, anyway, the gospel was first. Uh, Jesus was Jewish, and, and the 12 apostles were, were Jewish. And uh, the gospel was uh, first to them. But, of course, through Israel and through Jesus, God always intended to open up, you know, his love and his grace to the entire world. And so Paul would go into the synagogue, and he would preach to the Jews first. But a lot of the Jewish people had a lot of religious pride, and they didn't like it that um, the gospel uh, would go to the Gentiles. And um, in fact, I mean, just if you look across the world today, there, there's all kinds of pride, prejudice, you know, I mean, whether it's ethnicity, uh, you know, religion or whatever. And um, one of the marks of Christians should always be, and, and one of the marks of the gospel in the New Testament is that God loves every single person on planet earth, amen? And, you know, so there's all kinds of different nations, ethnicities, but um, Jesus wants to save everybody, you know. In fact, the Bible says one of the reasons he is, is, is waiting as long as he is. It's a, the Bible says he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want it. Now, some will perish, but he doesn't want that. So uh, part of our job is to share that gospel message, you know, with other people that need it. So it actually talks about he was three Sabbaths in the synagogue, and then, um, then he started running into a little bit of trouble, a little bit of persecution. And um, he ends up, they end up having to, uh, they were staying at a guy's house by the name of Jason and all kinds of trouble started happening and they, they ended up having to leave Thessalonica and that was the extent of Paul's ministry. Now, it talks about the three Sabbaths that he preached there, but it really doesn't say how long they were there totally. Um, Bible scholars feel like they were probably there maybe three to four months before the persecution from the uh, Jews in that city. And of course, you know, there's many Jews that got saved too. I mean, Paul was Jewish, you know, and, uh, you know, we know all the story of how he got saved. But, uh, but they were under tremendous persecution. How many of you know, even in America, there's a certain level, even right now, that, that's worse than it used to be of persecution against Christians. It's true, you know. They just, I just read yesterday uh, in New York City and the Supreme Court refused to review it, but um, the Second Court of Appeals ruled that churches could no longer meet in public schools. That's in America, in New York. There's over 30 churches right now that are meeting in public school buildings in New York City that in one uh, month, no, I'm sorry, over 60 churches that in 30 days, we'll have to find another place to meet. So that's a little bit different from George Washington, um, you know, holding church in the Capitol. <laughs> a little different, isn't it? So, I mean, but it's really just, um, it's persecution, obviously very mild, 
but uh, but nevertheless it is. And so, um, you know, you're, whenever you preach the gospel, whenever you share about Jesus, there, you know, there are going to be those that just at that point in time, they're just not ready for that. They're not open to that. And um, so persecution can come. And, and so, you know, Paul and Silas, uh, they experienced that uh, in Thessalonica and, and they ended up having to leave, leave town. And uh, you can read that story, you know, later tonight if you get a chance. And, uh, but so we don't really know exactly how long they were there, but probably only three to four months. And so this is a very young church, you know, brand new church. They preach the gospel. And we're going to pick it up here in First Thessalonians chapter 1. And, I, you know, I'm going to dive into the second coming here in just a second. But I, I don't want to just do it out of context. I want you to get a feel for this church. I want you to get a feel for Paul's heart. You know, I want you to get a feel for what's going on here um, in Thessalonica. And, uh, but, but, but let me say as I jump into that, I think it's very interesting. We'll see here that Paul taught this very young church, you know, maybe only with them three or four months. He had already taught them about prophecy. He had already taught them about the second coming. I know some preachers and pastors in America that have been in their pulpits for years and haven't touched on the subject of prophecy. Let me just say, that's not good, (laughs) okay? I mean, it's our blessed hope. We should be preaching and teaching. I mean, obviously, there's many of the things about our daily life and Christian living that we need too, but it is important to preach on prophecy. And uh, and I think 1 and 2 Thessalonians probably illustrate that better than any two books in the Bible, because this very young church, you know, we find Paul actually sharing quite a bit with them uh, about the second coming and about prophecy. But anyway, let's pick it up here in chapter one of 1 Thessalonians. I just want you to get a feel here for how this church was birthed and and Paul's heart for it. And in um, every single chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and uh, in fact, maybe I'll write them down for you right now real quickly before we jump into it. But uh, in every single chapter, chapter 1, verse 10, chapter 2, verses 16 and 19, the further along in the book it goes, the more we get. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 13, and chapter 4, we have verses 13 to 18, and in chapter 5, we have a full 11 verses that deal with the second coming. And so in every single chapter, and then when we get into second Thessalonians, um, it's even, there's even a bigger chunk uh, of scripture that deals with the second coming. So you might want to jot those down, but um, let's take a look here at, at chapter one and I'll read out of the NLT because it's real easy to read. It says, this letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, my God give you grace and peace. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. Uh, you can start seeing Paul's pastoral heart right away here in this book. You know, He's praying for these believers constantly. Um, the church is not just a, a teaching center. It's not just 
a place where we gather, but, but it's a family, you know, it's, it's God's people. We've been rescued out of the world. We're on a journey. We're walking with Jesus all the way to heaven, you know, and so, and it's not always easy, right? <laughs> it could be, have its challenges. And so Paul, the great apostle, um, you know, he would, he would found churches and then he would leave elders and pastors, but he functioned as a pastor, you know, when he would first found these churches. And so it says he prayed for them constantly and uh, he had that pastoral heart. He was concerned about them spiritually. And he said, as we pray to our God and father about you, we think of your faithful work and loving deeds and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this church was doing pretty good already. You know, Paul only been there a few months, you know, and they're already serving the Lord. He says things like faithful work, you know, loving deeds. And then in verse four, bless you. <laughs> verse four, he says, we know dear brothers and sisters that God loves you. I mean, that's pretty basic, but he reminds them, you know, hey, God loves you. And that's why Jesus came and has chosen you to be his own people. So again, we're a people. We're not just individual Christians. We are a people, you know, we're a family. You know, one way to get blessed is find out what Jesus is doing and do it with him. You know what Jesus is doing? Matthew 16, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if you want to know what Jesus is doing today, he's building his church, which is his family and his people, you know? And um, uh, I know you guys have heard me say this many, many times, but it's true. You know, Jesus is not coming back for a defeated church. He's not coming back for a church hiding in a corner someplace, you know? Uh, knock kneed in the closet, afraid of the devil, just waiting to be escaped out of here, you know? And um, now there is a rapture. We'll talk about that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a thing of fear and it's not a thing where he's coming to get us because we can't stand up to the devil. I believe Jesus always saves the best wine for last. I believe the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the glory of the former house, you know? And so I believe the greatest days of the church uh, are even ahead. Or as Brian Houston likes to say, the best is yet to come. So uh, I believe that's true, you know. Now, we'll face challenges. And, um, and actually, these believers were facing challenges right, right away in the beginning of their, you know, their early um, life as God's people. Okay, so verse uh, 5, it says, For when we brought you the good news, and other translations say the gospel. And, of course, the gospel is the, the key to everything, the key to salvation, the key to victory. And it's what, when he, whenever you read good news or gospel, it's talking about what Jesus did for us on the cross. The whole of the Old Testament was leading up to Jesus. All the law, all the sacrifices, all the, all the symbolism of the tabernacle, all of that was leading up to Jesus. And so when Jesus came Died on the cross. I mean, you guys know the whole story. Earthquake, rock splitting, dark for three hours. It was like God's atomic bomb, you know? And basically, he defeated evil on the cross. Conquered Satan, conquered sin. So that's why it's called good news, you know? It's good news for us. And um, so he says here, you know, uh, for when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. 
and you know of our concern for you from the way we live. So that first thing there, the Holy Spirit gave those young Thessalonian believers full assurance that what Paul said was true. How many of you know when you hear the Bible preached, you know, and when you're in a church that's alive, it's more than just information, but something goes on inside you, right? There's full assurance. I mean, I, I can sit here and go through physical proofs of why Jesus is the Christ, and that's good to do that, you know. Um, there's guys that are really good at that. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, there's also the side of faith. There's the side where you just become aware of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Inside. It's like the old hymn, you know, you ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. <laughs> how many of you know he lives within your heart, you know, when you know Jesus? And so that, so the Thessalonians, you know, Paul was just affirming all that, you know, that they received the word of God and that, that Jesus had came and, and touched their lives. And then I love this too. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Good leaders should never be, Jesus was never so far above the people that he couldn't be touched. Good leaders should be good examples and live good lives in front of their people. You know, uh, we've had some sad things happen in the last 20, 30 years. And, and that's sad, you know, but uh, because if anybody should be an example of how... Now, we're not perfect. We know that. We all have clay feet, you know. But still, I mean, if anybody should be an example of how to live, how many believe it should be at least Christian leaders, right? You know? So, and Paul really was that. And he wasn't afraid to say it. He said, um, you know, you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So, you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. When you get saved... It's great. It's joyful. Your sins are forgiven. Your guilt is gone. The power of God is there for you. And, but like, now look at this now. In spite of severe suffering, it brought you. So they had persecution from the Jewish people. I think one of the things we need to just kind of dial in on and be prepared for, you know, we talk about the second coming and, and the things that are going on in our world today. The glory of God's going to rise on his church, but there is darkness out there. So we just got to dial in a little bit and realize as Christians, you know, the devil is not just going to take everything lying down. And so we may face persecution, even in America, we may face, you know, um, a higher degree or more persecution, even, you know, than what we have to this point. We just, we just need to be ready for that, you know, and realize that what's the, what that's coming out of is people that are lost, people that are controlled you know, by forces of darkness, people that are in their own rebellion don't know any better yet, you know? And um, uh, so our job is to reach out to them and, and love them, right? Just love them. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that's, that, that's really what wins people, you know, is, is the love of God. And so uh, in this way, you imitated both us and the Lord, I love that because, you know, we learn things directly from the Lord, but it's okay to, when you find somebody who's a good Christian and really living the life right, something clicks inside you, it's okay to imitate them, you know? I mean, you're not going to be exactly like them. No, no two of us are, are clones, you know? But uh, it's okay to, to, you know, follow their example and imitate them. And that's what the uh, Thessalonians there did 
um, with Paul. He said, in this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you became an example. They, so they, they grew in their own faith. And they, they were, even in that short time, they were already becoming an example to all the believers in Greece. So you can sense this church life going on. You can sense Paul's pastoral heart. And you can sense the spiritual growth of these believers, you know. And then in verse 8, it says, and now, in other words, kind of out of that, and now... The word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. Forever we, wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turn from idols to serve the living and true God. So this was a church that was not afraid to share the gospel, not afraid to stand up for the Lord. And um, that's the same kind of church we need to be. That's why Vic, That's why we go all over the world sharing the gospel. It's why, I mean, this year in 2012, we're believing God to help us do even more, you know, to touch our community, even more, you know, to touch our world. Because it's through bringing people the good news of Jesus and bringing the gospel. And sometimes that's, it was even interesting, the first part of that chapter where it said they were, they were, um, you know, forget how he said that there, their, their faithful work and their loving deeds. I'm so, I, I mean, you know, sometimes people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And so, we're, you know, and it's love. I mean, God is love. And so as we learn to reach out in love, you know, we can, man, you know, people can be touched with, the, with, with God's gospel. And so, but that's, and that's, so they were doing that, man. They were a church that was reaching out. So, um, you know, and, and that's the same kind of church we need to be. And it says they turn from idols. An idol is anything that you put in your life ahead of God. And I'll guarantee you that anything other than Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit being in the center of your life, anything other than that will disappoint you. You know, I mean, if you think about it, just think about this for a minute. You know, people like overseas even, you know, just, just a culture, say, let's say a culture that really has true wooden idols or stone idols. I mean... Really, think about how kind of silly that is in a way to bow down to a stone or wooden idol, you know, when actually the person bowing down is actually more smarter more smarter and more intelligent than that piece of rock, you know? So it's really, I mean, it's really kind of semi-humorous in a way, but uh, it's sad too. But actually, we could do the same thing too. I mean, we can make it, how many of you know anything less than, than God is less than God? So it's just, you know, they turn from, we just need to let the Lord be the center of our life and then he can bless us. Then he can guide us into what he has for us, you know. But anything, we, we put anything in our life ahead of God, it's really an idol and it breaks the, the, the first of the 10 commandments. All right, now watch this here in verse 10. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming. Everybody say coming. The coming of God's son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Or uh, in the ESV, it says, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And he says, they're looking forward to that. You know, well, sure, we, we, we all want to look forward to that, you know. The, the day when Jesus comes, and that's what the second coming is all about. Now, so let's just jot down a few things here. First of all is the word coming. We are going to see that 
in basically almost every single passage. It's the Greek word parousia. I'm not going to give you too much Greek here tonight, but I'll give you a few. It's the Greek word parousia, and basically it means presence, uh, or even in a stronger sense, present. You know, so what we're really talking about here in the second coming is Jesus coming back to earth and being present with us. And he is the King of Kings, and he is the Lord of Lords. And when he comes back, he will deal with evil. That's, it's interesting, in this verse here, it says, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, let's just jot, concerning his coming, let's just, as we go through these scriptures, we're just going to jot a few things down. So, he delivers us from wrath. So, we can learn a couple of things about that from right there. Number one, and some people don't believe this, or some people make fun of it, or I guess there's a lot of different attitudes to this, but the fact of the matter is God's wrath will come. He is not going to tolerate sin and evil forever. Now, you understand something about God's wrath. It's not because God is mean. It's not because he wants to be macho. It's none of, those are all human feelings. God's wrath is because sin is bad. We don't realize how bad sin is. God's natural reaction to sin is he has to deal with it. He has to. And so it's a totally righteous anger. No, no, you know, wrong motives about it. It's a, it's a, it's a, emotion and a spiritual reality from God that that sin hurts people, sin hurts creation. God hates sin. You know, it's a righteous anger towards sin and he will deal with it. So that's something we just have to understand about the second coming. It involves wrath, you know, and and that's that's the scary part, you know, uh, if you don't know Jesus. Now, if you know Jesus, then guess what? You get to fall in the delivers us part. How many of you are glad you're in that part? You know? But, uh, you know, we do, you appreciate, you appreciate the delivers us a whole lot more when you realize that this is a reality. There's kind of a false tolerance out there today that somehow it's just all going to be okay Somehow God's going to just forgive everybody, whether they repent or not. And it's just not true. You know, um, there, there, Paul said, you know, that he's writing to Christians, obviously, that, that he delivers us from their, or as the NLT says, you know, rescues us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So there, there, there's a wrath side and, and you have to rise above a human level. And you got to get up to a divine level to understand that. You know, that, I mean, is there anybody here who'd want to have sin in your heaven? I don't think so, you know. And so God, he has to, he has to judge it. He has to deal with it. I think part of that has to do, we just don't understand, you know, quite how um, uh, serious sin is. So that's, um, that's really the kind of the opening salvo here. In, um, in chapter 1, let me give you a couple of verses just to 
follow up with that. So when we talk about wrath, um, uh, the first part of that, the first uh, aspect of wrath that we're delivered from is hell. Is there anybody here who's glad that you know Jesus and you don't have to go to hell? Is there anybody glad about that? All right, I thought you would be, you know. So, um, uh, but that's part of God's wrath, you know, when, when people will not repent and not, not uh, allow the Lord to forgive their sin. You know, that's the first thing that, 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 he, um, that he delivers us from, you know. But also, um, let's look at a couple other things, and I'll just give you, um, what I'm doing here out of Thessalonians, I'm just giving you a few verses around it to uh, kind of support it from other parts of the Bible. A good, a good rule of thumb, some of you probably heard this before, the way you learn to understand what the scriptures are teaching is let scripture interpret scripture. So if you read one passage and you're not quite sure maybe exactly what that passage means, look for other passages that make it clear. Never, here's another good thing to say. Never build a major doctrine on one Bible verse. Did you hear about the guy who was looking for a, a word from the Lord, you know, and he took his Bible out and he's praying, Lord, just tell me what to do. He stuck his finger in his Bible and said, Judas went and hanged himself. Oh, I need something different, Lord. I don't, I, that's not a good one. You know, put, his, put his finger back in there, flipped a few pages, stuck his finger down there and it said, go and do thou likewise. <laughs> So not the way, not the way for guidance or doctrine. But anyway, so just a couple other scriptures on wrath here. This is, this is out of the book of Revelation. Um, just, to, just to really kind of build a little bit of a case here that there is this aspect of, um, of God's wrath. So jot this one down, Revelation 6.17. And of course, we are again here in the midst of the uh, second coming. Uh, so Revelation six seventeen says, uh, well, let's pick, we'll pick it up in verse 16. This is the reaction of many people that um, have been in rebellion against God. And it says they're calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand that's pretty heavy duty isn't it and uh so i won't give you too many like that all right revelation 16 verse 1 this actually has to do and it's interesting this is the bowls um uh in revelation in revelation 16 1 it says then i heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So what's cool is, how many of you are glad because you have been delivered from the wrath to come? How many of you are glad you've been delivered from the bowls? So a little sneak preview here. We'll talk more about this. We're not here when the bowls are poured out. Okay, we're gone. (laughs) Now, we are here for a few other things though, so... Don't get too cocky, okay? So, you know, I believe God is going to demonstrate his power and his glory through the church right in the face of the devil. I believe God's going to do that, you know? I mean, how many of you know if you're going to win a game, you got to play the game, right? All those football bowl games, you know, the teams that won had to get in there and play, and they won because they played the best, you know? So, um, anyway... 
Uh, most of them, at least, that's true of. You know, so it depends on who you're a fan of. <laughs> but that's only football. We're talking about the second coming. It's a lot higher level. Okay. So, um, uh, and then actually, let me give you one more out of Revelation. Revelation 19, verse 15. This is when Jesus actually comes back riding on a white horse. Revelation 19, 15. And uh, it says, from his mouth, okay, the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Ooh, man, I'll tell you what, that's a, that's a scary verse, you know. If somebody is not willing to repent of their sin and receive the awesome grace of Jesus, you know, for forgiveness of sins and knowing you can be saved. So, but again, it's, it's, it's not that God's, you know, got a problem. It's got, it's that he has to, we don't understand fully the extent of his holiness. You know, he's just got to deal with sin. Okay. So, um, that, that is, um, that is uh, what is uh, in chapter 1 here, um, verse 10. And uh, so Paul uh, there makes a great point, you know, about... Now, I'm not going to read from here on. I'm not going to read every single uh, part of, of the book. I'm going to focus on the verses that have to do with the second coming. I read that first chapter because I wanted you to feel for the church. I wanted you to feel Paul's heart. So let's jump ahead here. Um, in chapter 2, and uh, I've got written down there verse 16 and verse 19. So let's, let's take a look at, at what Paul says there. He's actually talking about the Jewish um, people there in Thessalonica that had been hindering the gospel. And let's pick it up in verse 14. He says for, of chapter 2 now, For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, Those were churches that Paul had planted before Thessalonica. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen um, as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins but God's wrath has come upon them at last. I don't think Paul's statement there is that he is taking personal pleasure, you know, in the, in the wrath of God coming upon them. I think he's, he's more declaring that God, you know, is demonstrating his power and, and that the victory is being won for the Lord. But he's act, actually talking about the Jewish people that, that we're hindering. Now, what exactly, you know, scholars are not sure in this particular case, he's talking about wrath. You know, uh, there's several possibilities what that wrath could actually be in this verse. It could be something specific that he had in mind uh, that was happening actually at that time in Thessalonica or maybe back in Judea. He could also have been speaking prophetically all the way out to um, what's going to happen in the very end times with Israel. Even though the Jews were, were very rebellious, you know, God made a covenant with them through Abraham. And how many of you know God is still not done with Israel? 
He's not that he loves Israel, you know. Now, does that mean that every single person in Israel, every individual, Israel's going to be saved as a nation? That's another whole story. But it doesn't mean every single person. There is still only one way to be saved. And that's it. You have to repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you know, and let him become, you know, uh, the center part of your life. And so this also could be referring to um, A.D. 70. You guys remember what happened in A.D. 70 um, because of Israel and, and the Jewish people not receiving Christ and rebelling against Christ. The, the temple was destroyed and literally not one stone was left upon another. Uh, you know, all of Jerusalem was wiped out. Titus did that in AD 70. And um, it was a direct direct result, you know, uh, of, of their, their rejection of Christ as the Messiah. Um, even a lot of their suffering um, in the Holocaust and, and under Hitler... Uh, it's just been a terrible thing, you know. But in the and so sin always brings wrath. Sin always brings judgment. Sin always brings misery, you know. But at the same time, how many of you know that does not mean that God doesn't love the Jews? He loves them very much. And and there's in the Book of Revelation, there's many things He's going to do specifically to reach out to Israel. But to show you that. That um, they're not. There's actually a time in the end times where two thirds of Israel is going to be wiped out. Two thirds, and some of those may be saved people, but many of them won't be. You know, and um, but there's going to be some also some awesome anointed Jewish firebrands, 144,000 of them that are going to have the seal of God in their foreheads that are going to be preaching machines. <laughs> so there's, you know, it's like, it's like Nicodemus, of course, you know, came to Jesus, the whole John 3 story, you know, and, and had a heart for God. You know, Paul was Jewish, you know. So there's going to be many, many, many Jewish people and, and God is going to deal specifically with them as a nation. But in this case, Paul, Paul, who's Jewish, you know, he says God's wrath has come upon him, you know. And so whatever he was talking about there, whether it was a specific situation or whether it was AD 70 or whether he actually had in mind that they were going to have to face what would happen, you know, when Jesus returned. Because actually in this day here, they did not know when Jesus would return. You know, I mean, they, they in their mind, you know, they... Um, they, it could have been, you know, close, you know, they just didn't know. And uh, we'll see when we get into Second Thessalonians, when Paul wrote, to, Paul wrote this book, and we'll see he gets into a lot more on the second coming here in chapter four and chapter five. Uh, and so he was writing to these young believers, and uh, he wanted them to know about this prophecy. Well, one of the things that happened, and we know this from history, is that some of the Thessalonian believers thought Jesus was coming so soon, they just quit their job. And they were becoming idle. They were also becoming broke, you know. And so, you know, they were just, and Paul had to write 2 Thessalonians to fix that. He goes, no, 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 look it. And he actually tells them some things that had to happen first, you know, uh, before Jesus was going to come. Now, I do want to just say something here, you know, that... Um, uh, 
we'll get into this in 2 Thessalonians, but Paul actually makes the point in 2 Thessalonians that there are certain things that have to transpire before Jesus comes. Now, in my, this may ruffle some of your theological feathers, you know, I mean, I don't know all of your backgrounds, you know, but, uh, you know, hey, you know, I mean, if it, if it rubs you further the wrong way, just turn the cat around, you know. So, <laughs> but anyway, here, here's the thing. If certain things have to happen, which we'll see clearly in 2 Thessalonians, if certain things have to happen before Jesus can return, what that means is, are you ready? Fasten your seatbelts. It means he can't come today. Selah. That means pause and think about that a while. <laughs> so, and so a lot of you have been taught I know that for, for years and years and years that Jesus could come any day. And um, I'm going to try to help you see that from First and Second Thessalonians, that's just not the mindset of Paul. It's just not the mindset of the early church. Um, I think it's something God is changing today, you know, helping the church. Uh, and, you know, it's not a point of fellowship. How many of you know our fellowship is totally around Jesus? It's not around doctrine, you know, so we don't have any litmus test around victory, whether you are pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. A lot of you are probably pan-trib. It's just going to all pan out in the end somehow, you know. So there's no litmus test. I do know some denominations that have kind of like a litmus test. If you don't believe like they believe, you know, you're not too welcome there. We should never base fellowship around doctrine. Fellowship is always based around Jesus, you know. And so um, he's our savior, That's why Ephesians says, endeavor to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, (laughs) not argument, in the bond of peace until, everybody say until, until we all come to the unity of the faith. And I think that probably won't fully come until maybe right about three seconds before Jesus gets here. (laughs) So anyway, um, I lost what I was thinking, what I was talking about. Um, so uh, what was I talking about? I, was, I had an important point. Yeah, certain things have to happen. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, in Second Thessalonians, um, we will we'll jump into that. But here's 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 and here's where I want to really go with that. You'll notice in these books when Paul talks about the coming of the Lord, he just talks about the coming. That's what he talks about. Now we have a tendency in our own. Theology in modern theology, we have a tendency to say, well, at the rapture, or, well, when Jesus comes back, you know, after the tribulation. But the Bible never talks like that. It just always talks about coming. Now, does that, does that mean the coming all happens in an instant in one day? No, I don't believe that either, because I'm going to list some more things up here as we go into the next scriptures. There's, there's too many things that are listed here for, I guarantee you, way too many things for it to all happen in one day. But there is a phrase used in the Bible called the day of the Lord. But I don't think that necessarily means it's a literal one day. I think it means that it's a, a time frame, you know. But you don't find the writers of the Bible using this dichotomy of breaking the second coming up into rapture and then Jesus returning later at, you know, uh, uh, somehow at the end of the tribulation. And there's this huge time frame between them. Now, I will say this. We'll see. There is a sequence of events. 
And we are, the church really is out of here. We are out of here, especially when that wrath is being poured out. But, um, you know, it, it, I, I don't think in God's mind or in the Apostle Paul's mind, there's this huge dichotomy of those two events, you know. And, and I think you can see it here. Paul just talks about coming. He always just says coming. Now, the things he says about the coming of the Lord, you know, you realize as he, the more he talks about it, man, that couldn't all happen in 30 seconds, <laughs> you know. And you go, where does the marriage supper of the Lamb fit in in that? I'll get into that next week. So anyway, you know, so uh, where does all that fit in, you know? But I just want you to see that, that he just always talks about one thing, which is his coming, you know? And I believe it involves a sequence of events, quite a few things happening, you know, over a period of time. And, uh, but, but the, the whole, you know, really the whole thing of what we talk about, particularly pre-tribulation rapture, and actually it's, it's a misnomer because, um, we talk about the tribulation being 70 years, seven years, but really that's Daniel's 70th week, which is seven years old. But do you know there's no place anywhere in the Bible that says the tribulation is seven years? Absolutely no place. And we'll touch on that too as we get a little further down here. But uh, there is a tribulation. There is a rapture. You know, it's just that when we make this huge barrier and dichotomy it just it, it i believe it's not really the way um that the apostle paul wanted that to be and so i believe it's something that that uh, the lord is changing and um i believe he's helping the church uh get ready you know to be able to stand strong and also when it's time to go it's time to go right so you know i, I think he's getting us ready uh for all of that if we if we hold on to this thing you know where, which I think Second Thessalonians makes it clear it doesn't happen. If we hold on to this thing that we could leave out of here today, it can easily kind of become an escapist mentality. But I don't know about you guys, but as I look across the body of Christ and the shape the church is in right now, I think for God to take the church out right now would be a royal defeat. I don't believe he's coming back for a church in the shape it is right now. I believe he's coming back for a bride without spot or blemish, or wrinkle with the glory of God shining in his people. (laughs) Almost sounds impossible, doesn't it? Uh, Aren't you glad the Bible says with God nothing is impossible? (laughs) You know, but how do you become, you know, without spot or blemish or wrinkle? Well, the way you get without spot is you rub hard. The way you get without wrinkle is a hot iron. (laughs) So what I'm saying is, I think the church is going to have to mature and stand strong in some times ahead you know we're not going to be here for the wrath but we're going to have to learn to stand strong with some times ahead and if we're going to win the game we got to play the game right god's not going to take us out of the game and put us on some video football <laughs> you know no we're gonna we're gonna play in the game and we're gonna we're gonna win so anyway um and, and just to give you one other historical example of of sometimes how god you know how things can really get off track and, um, and this is just a true historical example. You know, uh, when, when Martin Luther came and nailed the 95 theses on the door, come on, let's be honest, folks. How many of you know there was some things in the church needed to be changed, right? And so God used him, rattled the whole world at the time, you know? And so it's very, the church can get off in a few areas, you know, and God can come and adjust it a little bit. And I'm not saying I have the answers by any means. I'm just saying, as I read First and Second Thessalonians, what I see is, 
I see the Lord constantly talking through the Apostle Paul about the idea of, the, of, of his coming. His coming, you know? He doesn't say, oh yeah, now I'm talking about the rapture. And he doesn't say, oh yeah, now I'm talking about, you know, no, he just talks about his coming and he treats it as one big deal, you know? And, uh, and so I think it is one big deal. It just, it, there, are, there are different facets to it. So um, let's move on to the last one here in chapter two. And um, uh, a quick one here in verse 19. He was trying, Paul was trying to get back to Thessalonica. And he says, I, Paul, again and again, uh, I wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you are glory and joy. Come on, how many of you know you can't take your house or car to heaven? The only thing you can take is people, right? That's what matters. So our families, people we're praying for, you know, and so um, that, that's what it's all about. Salvation, you know, is for people. All right, let's move on to chapter 3 here, um, verse 13. And uh, let's pick it up at verse 11. It says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. You, you can see there Paul's emphasis on love and people and church and all that. As we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Now here, watch this now. At the coming, everybody say Coming at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So what we want to start doing here is, is um, listing a few more things that we're seeing in these scriptures about the coming. Uh, the reason I like these two books is because they're just very compact and they're very specific you know, about certain things. So he delivers us from wrath, and here we see he's coming with his saints. Okay. All right. So, um, what that uh, is talking about is that we are very much participating in the second coming of Christ. And if He's coming back in this particular uh, part where Paul's talking about it, if He's if He's coming back with His saints, um, you know, then you'd have to say, well, that's not quite like for His saints. That's like. I mean, with his saints. So, you know, somehow we are with him in this. And I already read to you a little bit of it, but just again, jot down Revelation 19. And let's look at that one more time. Uh, a scripture really that gives us a, a, a bigger picture of that. But, but, but it is a picture of where he is with his saints. And uh, verse 11, pick it up. Verse 11 of Revelation 19 says, Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are written, are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. We talked about the importance of the word last week, you know, in church. And the armies of heaven... Watch this now, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Now, there's really no place in scripture where we see um, uh, angels on horses. 
but uh, we do see Jesus riding on a white horse and um, uh, we see people, you know, riding on horses. So this seems to be a picture here of where we are actually coming back with Jesus and he's coming to judge the nations. Um, you know, the whole thing of the wine press and the wrath and all that. So that's, that's an aspect of his coming. And so if, if we're coming back with him, um, I don't think that means just believers in heaven. Also, it's pretty hard to ride a horse if you don't have a body, <laughs> right? So probably we already have our resurrection bodies at this time, you know? So um, if we're coming back with him, when he's coming back here to um, judge and rule the nations, um, then we have to ask ourselves, well, when were we, when were we resurrected? Or when, were, when did we get our, our resurrection body, you know? Or uh, if we were on earth and Jesus came back and raptured us, caught us up, you know, then, um, and, and took us to heaven, then what were we doing there? How long were we there? You know? So I'm not answering those questions right now. I'm just saying that this is an aspect that's very clear here in 1 Thessalonians that he comes back with his saints. So that, that, that's got to be part of his coming. Okay, so let's move on uh, now. You guys can follow that? Everybody follow that, what I'm saying there? Okay. All right, so um, now let's move on, and we'll, we'll pick up a different aspect here in chapter 4, and uh, the verses actually get um, a little more plentiful here. But let's pick it up in verse 13. And uh, he says, we, but we do not want you to be uninformed. I love that word, isn't it? So Paul is teaching them this stuff about prophecy and about the second coming of Christ. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I think it's just really not good, you know, if a church doesn't teach prophecy. Actually, in 2 Peter, it talks about prophecy being like a light in a dark place. That sh- I mean, you know, it, make, it helps make sense of life. And what's going on in our struggles if we realize Jesus is coming again, right? So it's like a light. It it shines hope, you know? And so Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. So that's why he's teaching them all this stuff, you know? Uh, And in this case, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And so I I like the way he uses the word asleep. Doesn't even use the word death. I mean, when you think of somebody sleeping, you think of them after they're done sleeping, you think of them what? getting up, right? And so what a beautiful picture of even though we die, you know, we are going to be resurrected again at the second coming with Christ, you know? So he, I, I like that, that he, so about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have not, have no hope. And um, how many have ever been at a Christian funeral where, I mean, and obviously on, on the human side, it's perfectly fine to grieve. You know, um, I've talked to my, my mom a couple of different times. You know, she just still tremendously misses my dad. But she's not a griever in the sense of like those. If you look at my mom, she's always smiling. She misses my dad. So there's that human, the, the, it's, a, it's not wrong to, uh, to, to grieve, you know. Uh, how many of you don't like it when Christianity is painted as this thing with a plastic face and a smile on your face all the time and you're just kind of super spiritual robot type thing? You know, that's not real Christianity. 
But um, real Christianity is the joy of the Lord. Real Christianity is, yeah, man, I miss that person. I, you know, I grieve because they, they, they died, you know. But I've got joy inside me because guess what? I know Jesus is coming. I know there's resurrection coming, you know, and we're going we're gonna to be with him forever. And so we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Um, how many of you ever been to a Christian funeral where, where, or you've had maybe friends or family come to a, a Christian funeral and they're just kind of blown away by the fact that you're not sadder? You know, you're not sad enough. <laughs> and I go, well, I am sad. I miss him, but I also know I'm going to see him again. And, and I know actually they're in a better place than I am right now. <laughs> you know, they're, they're free of pain. You know, my knees hurt, <laughs> whatever, you know. So, I mean, Christians have that, they have that hope, you know, and they, they have that vision. So, um, okay, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, um, through Jesus, God will, now watch this, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming, everybody say coming. You see, you see here, he, he just, he talks about stuff that goes on during the coming, but you don't see the apostle Paul saying here, now what I'm really talking about here is the rapture. Make sure you don't confuse that with, you know, Jesus is coming at the end of the tribulation, you know. You just don't see that. All the way through scripture, you just see him talking about the coming and these various events happen at the coming. And um, so, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. And we we got to put that out there too, you know. Cry of command. That's, uh, have any of you ever seen those movies, you know? I, I don't know if Rambo did that or whatever, but there's a lot of movies like that where, where you know, where, where victory is coming or a battle's going to be won. And whoever the hero is, you know, they just go, ah! <laughs> you know, they just kind of, that's a cry of command, you know? And that's what it's going to be like, you know? I mean, there's going to there's gonna be a cry from Jesus that, man, the devil's time is over. Sin's time is over. I'm coming back to deliver my people. Whew, that's cool. That gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. You know, so um, there'd be a cry of command, the voice of an archangel. Uh, archangels in the Bible, there's only three that are named that we know of. Michael. Give me another one. Gabriel, right? Give me one more, except he's not an archangel anymore. Lucifer, that's exactly right. There's some cool, cool things we could teach on all that, but no time. But uh, here's the thing. Somehow the archangel, it might be Gabriel, might be Michael, the voice of an archangel. So not only is there going to be the cry of command from the Lord, but Gabriel or Michael are going to be standing right there shouting too. Yeah, victory's coming, you know. I mean, that's a cool picture, isn't it? You think that'd make a good movie? I think so, you know. So anyway, um, you know, Paul, Paul uh, talks about the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. So <laughs> can you imagine what this would be like? Oh, my gosh. And... Um, I just want to say, this is a picture here of the rapture, you know, but what we always hear so much is we hear about this secret rapture theory, 
Everybody's going to disappear. The planes are going to crash. And everybody's going to wonder where everybody went. I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to be wondering. If you hear a cry of command from the Lord from heaven, ah, what? You hear a cry. Then you hear the voice. Michael and Gabriel are shouting at the top of their lungs. And there's a trumpet. I'm in the Old Testament, how many of you know what a shofar is? I mean, all of a sudden you hear this trumpet. I mean, there's no mysterious disappearance in that deal. You know, now, I mean, we get caught up with the Lord right there. That's what this, this passage right here is what we would classically call the rapture. And by the way, the word rapture itself is not anywhere. It's a, it's a Latin word. It comes from the word rapture, and it means to be caught away. Uh, you know, what the Bible uses is the phrase caught up. Caught up is the phrase the Bible uses, but, but rapture comes from a, nothing wrong with it. It's, it's a fine word, but it's, it's not a Greek or biblical word. You know, it's a Latin word. But um, so we have this cry of command, voice of an archangel, trumpet of God. Here it comes. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Oh, man, that means my dad gets to come out of the ground before I get changed. Well, I think that's right. He should. (laughs) So the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. Circle the words caught up if you're following your Bible. That's the Bible word for rapture. We get it right out of 1 Thessalonians here. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now that's different. So we need to put caught up here. So that's different than with, isn't it? Definitely different. So we can see from these very specific statements that somehow all this does not happen at once. Now, as we get into 2 Thessalonians, the picture even starts getting clearer. But, uh, you know, it doesn't all happen at once. So, obviously, there is, um, you know, a time frame here and, uh, you know, in, in how this happens. And some of that does involve Daniel's uh, 70th week. Uh, some of it involves the uh, rise of Antichrist and stuff like that. And, and I will touch on that. You know, as we go further, but I just, I'm trying to kind of right now just stay really focused on the scripture and what it says here in first and second Thessalonians. And, um, and then just as we make this list, you know, see what we can learn, you know, about the second coming. So obviously caught up is very different than, than, um, coming with, you know, the saints. And so there's, there's obviously something going on there. Yes, ma'am. You got a question? Huh? Yeah, they're actually in heaven. Every true believer right now is in heaven with the Lord. And what it's talking about there, I'm sorry? Yeah, actually, what will happen is they will have a resurrection body. So when it talks about the dead in Christ rising first, literally... Um, I mean, we have one small example of that. It was just for a short time. I don't know exactly what kind of bodies they had. But in Matthew 27, you know, when Jesus um, was crucified and then resurrected, it said some of the Old Testament saints came out of the tombs and they walked into Jerusalem, you know. And one of my favorite illustrations of that is if you were Abraham's great, 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 great grandchild, to have Abraham walk into your house and say, son, it's all real. I better repent. <laughs> you know, so, and... Uh, you know, I mean, so 
I don't know if they had resurrection bodies like the full resurrection body, but that's what that'll be like. Really, the, the, um, God will give us all. First Corinthians 15 talks about that. You know, uh, it's so incorruptible, raised in incorruption. And so we'll have a resurrection, incorruptible body and your spirit and your soul will be rejoined with your brand new body and uh, no aches, no pains, you know, and be able to walk through walls like Jesus did, stuff like that. So, I mean, um, who knows? I mean, we, we can just imagine, you know, what that'll be like. But that's what that's talking about there. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then it says, and then we which are alive will be caught up, you know, with them. And of course, if you back to 1 Corinthians 15, it says we'll all be changed. So we'll actually, our body will be changed in an instant if we happen to be alive at the time. And I, and I will say this, you know, I, I, I'll get into this a little bit more in Second Thessalonians, but, but I think there's definitely a chance, you know, that our generation or, you know, even in some of our lifetimes uh, th- that we could actually be, you know, here for the coming of the Lord. I think that's possible. And one of the things, well, I, I just got so much inside me. Well, when we get to the next one in chapter five, I'm starting to run out of time. But when, in chap, the next statement here in chapter five, there's some really interesting things we're gonna add to this list that it talks about the coming of the Lord. I can't, I can, I'll give you a quick little sneak preview. It's like, a th- <laughs> it's like a thief in the night, you know? So the idea is there is it's a little bit unexpected. And so even though I don't believe Jesus could come today, the things that transpire during that time of the coming of the Lord, I believe they could start happening very quickly. And all of a sudden, we're in the middle of Daniel's 70th week before we even knew what happened. I believe that could happen in our lifetime. So, um, uh, does that answer your question a little bit? About, okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then somebody else had a question too. Yes, ma'am. I answered it or... Okay. All right. Anyway. Okay. So, a um, lot, lot of things there in chapter four. And notice it says there, we'll be caught up with the Lord in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know, when you think about, man, I'm in a brand new body. Jesus is coming back for me. That's encouraging, right? You know, to know that, that the Lord has that for you. And it says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So from the moment that happens, we will be with the Lord. We will never leave his presence from the moment that happens. And so um, what, what is the difference between being caught up and coming back with his saints? Um, you know, it's not really in Thessalonians, but I believe there is a gap of time in between these two. And I, I'll touch in the next few weeks. I don't, I don't know how long. I don't think anybody really does, you know. But I'll touch on that. But I think this, this what, one of the things that goes on here is very possibly, you know, the mar- and again, I'm not saying for sure it is, but the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, there could also be, you know, where Jesus said, you've been faithful over a little, I'm gonna make you faithful over much. You, you know, you, you were faithful over one city, I'm gonna give you 10 cities. He's talking about the millennium there, so there could even be some awards, awards here. I, I mean, you know, it's just, I'm going through a, there could be some awards here. It's really, I think that's probably one of the things that's the least clear, you know, as to really what's going on there. But um, the, it is important to understand that being caught, and obviously, you know, the Bible says we're not appointed to wrath. So when those bowls are being poured out, 
the judgment of God is being poured out on earth, um, we will not be down here. We will be with the Lord, okay? Because the, the Bible is just extremely clear. We're just not appointed to wrath, you know? And um, uh, so anyway, yeah, Bert. The white throne judgment, I think that's really after this, most likely. It's most likely after um, uh, where we come back with his saints, where he actually, that's Revelation 20, you know, and it's where at the beginning of the millennium, and um, that's really where those that took the mark of the beast are thrown in the lake of fire. You know, that, yeah, that's, that's what, the great white throne judgment is not for Christians. It's really not, okay? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They were looking for the coming of Christ. And there's, you know, because the, the thing is, what, what has to happen, and 2 Thessalonians addresses this very clearly, what has to happen before Jesus can come is that, uh, you know, is that the man of sin has to be revealed, you know, and what, what, what some people would say today, well, yeah, that's exactly right, but we're going to be taken out before he's revealed, so therefore it could, we could be taken out any time. But, but we'll see this in Second Thessalonians. It's very, very clear. What had happened to the believers in First Thessalonians is they, Paul had been teaching them about the coming of the Lord and that, you know, that, hey, you know, we don't know when he's coming. He could come soon. And so, like I said, some of them quit their jobs, you know? And so... Uh, what Paul did then in 2 Thessalonians is correct that. And so when he corrected that, he goes, look it. You've got to understand the day of the Lord will not happen until, you know, the man of sin is revealed. But I'm just telling you, even in our day, the man of sin could be revealed very quickly. It could happen. I mean, all it takes is for our world economy to collapse have any of you guys looked at the economy lately? <laughs> so all it takes is for the world economy to collapse. And I'll tell you what, it sets a stage for where all of a sudden everybody wants one world government. Everybody wants comfort and convenience, you know. And what's the whole deal of Antichrist? It's, it's the mark of the beast and you can't buy or sell. What's it all about? Economics. So I'm telling you, that could come to pass very quickly. It really could. Much quicker, I think, than we realize. And we'll see here. Um, well, I'm just really going over time, so I'll have to wrap it, that, wrap it run it down here. But we'll, we'll, I'll save chapter 5. We'll get into that a little more next week. But we'll see there the language that Paul uses. You know, he uses um, language like suddenly, but what it really means is kind of like without warning. You know, it could just happen. It could start happening, you know, fairly, fairly quickly. He likens it to labor pains of a woman. Well, you get, you know, you get a little warning, don't you? But all of a sudden, <laughs> I mean, right, ladies? Am I right? All of a sudden, you're in labor, right? <laughs> well, you know, we could be, and you know, actually, Romans talks about the earth groaning. The earth is groaning, and, and you know, all creation, the Bible says, is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Uh, of course, that means daughters, too, but. Is there anybody here looking forward to have your resurrection body and ruling and reigning with Christ in the millennium? Are you looking forward to that? It's coming. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this thing down because already 15 minutes longer than what I said. So um, 
Any fast questions, real quick questions? Otherwise, I'll just, what I'll do is I'll pray for you if you want to hang around a little longer. And um, come back next time and we'll, we'll keep going, all right? And I'm going to try to, I, I, there's, it's so easy to jump off to other scriptures. And I will try to use some of those to help us understand. But I really want to just stick to what, to what Thessalonians is saying. Because it's just so specific and gives us a good picture. All right, Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters tonight. I pray you bless them, Lord. Give them a safe trip home. Give them a great night. And I just pray, let your Holy Spirit minister to each of us. Continue, Lord, in these days to open up the word of God to us. And Lord, we may not have every last little thing uh, figured out um, uh, until it actually starts happening. But I believe, Lord, it's like what you said, like a light shining in a dark place. And uh, we can be excited, looking forward to your coming. And we can be spiritually prepared. You don't want us to sleep, Lord. You want us to come alive. You want us awake and ready for your return, Lord. So I pray you stir that in each of our hearts. Bless each and every one tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming. We will be back, back here next week, same time, same place, same station. And uh, I will, I'm going to hang around here for a little bit. So if anybody has any questions, feel free to stop on up. <laughs>